Hi everyone, I'm Tim Kitro from NBA Jam, and I'm coming to you from the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. If you're an aspiring game developer, you need to check out GameDevsQuest.com, and they'll take care of all your needs, and you'll become a hotshot like me, because I'm on fire! Boom shakalaka! That's GameDevsQuest.com. Everybody, another special roadside edition of Game Devs Quest. Burr, burr, burr. I'm Rhett. I'm Taylor. What's up, y'all? Guys, we're coming back from day two of Portland Retro Gaming Expo, your favorite retro <laughs> gaming expo. Because <laughs> you all went. Yeah, y'all yeah. were there. <laughs> to Oregon. Yep. Yeah. Dude, um, today actually was fun. Surprisingly, it was more fun than this than the first day. We were like not prepared for this day at all. We got a late start. I mean, it was a later start in general for the expo, but we got an even later start than that. And um, and I would just I was dragging. I wasn't ready, dude. And uh, we rushed in there. We were almost late to a panel that we wanted to see. Matt Ullman and Matt Householder. I think that's right. Okay. <laughs> I know Matt um, and Matt, which was yeah. funny. Uh, and they are renowned for their work on Diablo, on the Diablo series. Specifically, they both work together on Diablo 2, but Matt Ullman did Diablo 1 and 2, and now has done the music for Torchlight yeah. and Torchlight 2. Apparently there's another... <laughs> I don't know if it's a separate game Yeah, what did he call like it? Torchlight... Torchlight... Alliance or... Something Allegiance like, or... Yeah, something like that. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um... But anyway, we went to their panel, and they just talked about working with Blizzard back on that day, and uh, I do not mean this in a negative way, but uh, it was a difficult panel to make it through for the first thing in the morning, and it was interesting listening to their stories, but um, it just was a little slower, but then uh, we went over and talked with them one-on-one for like... 40 minutes. Yeah, like 30 to 40 minutes. And that's going to be a podcast episode all on its own. Maybe we'll, well throw it in here. I know. I was kind of thinking maybe we would just be like, and now you can listen to it now. Okay. <laughs> hey, guys. Did you get a glimpse of that fucking awesome uh, interview we did with Matt Ullman and my, Matt Householder? What was really fun about that... Wait, maybe we'll cut it yeah, in after I, this. Let's cut yeah, it some can, more. Yeah, we can talk some more. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. <laughs> just kidding, guys. We're still here. Breaks uh, on you. Uh, so what was really fun about all that, so we ended up going over and talking with him, and I had emailed Matt Ullman before and said, hey, can you come podcast with us? And uh, he said, that sounds great, like get me right after our, our panel. And so I did, and I had wanted to get Matt Householder on the podcast, but I couldn't get his email address. I ended up just guessing Matt Ullman's and getting a hold of him. <laughs> his email address is not hard to guess, but um, I ended up getting a hold of him that way. But I couldn't find Matt Householder, and I was like, and I didn't want to be like, hey, Matt, like, we really want you, but can we also get your buddy in on us? Because I just, I don't know, it felt weird. But anyway, uh, we got them both at the same time, and so we got to sit there and talk to him a little bit more about, like, their induction into the games industry and their educational background and all of that sort of stuff. And they really walked us through, like, the early days of working for, like, what became Blizzard um, and things like that, which, and I know Blizzard's kind of a bad word right now, but back then it wasn't necessarily so. Although, uh, one funny thing about their talk was just yeah. how, uh, one of them said like, yeah, back in the day, like everything that was popular in pop culture was somehow influenced by the mafia, Yeah, <laughs> which was just like, yeah. what? I'd never heard that. But, yeah, and I did um, record the whole panel, so maybe we could take some cuts from that and cuts. like throw it in. It's, I don't know if that's like copyright or whatever, but that's no, fine. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was fun. That was a, a good start to the day. Um, it was cool, just like how chill they were. They, you they know, were like super friendly and nice, and yeah. like I never thought that I would talk to the guy who freaking like made the music for Diablo. Yeah, I didn't like either. that was insane. Um, and I wish that we would have been able to talk a little bit more specifically about like the creation process of the music and stuff yeah. but I, I was really hoping um, to in fact when you guys listen to our interview you'll like Taylor's just dominating with these questions motherfucker didn't prepare any questions and I did <laughs> and so I'm like yeah. here's my chance to ask one of the questions and I thought it was a good one and it was on the tip of my mind and I asked it and like both of them are like what why well, would we care about that and like luckily yeah. like 
they were gracious enough and they're like, well, obviously for me it's this, and they yeah. jumped right into it. But then it was not what I they think, really wanted to talk about. I think you're being hard on yourself. I, I don't know. know it was okay. So just generally, I don't know what it was, but I feel like I broke out of a shell this this uh, today or today and, and well, just this whole like well, dude, weekend, yeah, like, like you grabbed onto a few things and just like ran with it. Like you yeah. were bu- like we talked about it on the podcast yesterday, but like. You totally just took ownership of the speed runs, like, that first day. Yeah. Like, you were all over that, and that was fun. Well, it's like, you know, I've I've gone to, like, conventions and stuff, but not quite like that. And normally it's like I just walk around, and I I don't even really want the vendor people to talk to me or, yeah. like, make eye contact. Yeah. But for some reason, like, with this, maybe it's because it was game-related or I was, I like, a part of something. It was even uh, a little bit more unique than the the conferences and conventions and shit that I've done with uh, craft computing where craft computing you have you don't really have a home and you are going from appointment to appointment and you meet a lot of people and what's really fun is you make friends that you see every year and yeah. you get to talk to them that way and and you know but you don't really have a home what was fun about this was we had a home in right. the sh- on the showroom floor we yeah. had a booth we had these things and what well, it yeah. was just a like the con experience or the expo experience but like reverse in a way yeah. and I think that was really fun it was fun like yesterday we went out to dinner with our wives and stuff and, yeah uh, I told my wife or Rhett said like yeah we pretty much like worked the whole time she's like what yeah like, <laughs> you paid like money to go to work and yeah. it was like well yeah but it was like but it was fun it was super fun and if I hadn't been put in that sort of position where I had to kind of talk to people I don't know if I would have yeah necessarily and and you know we had like these green badges and and normal like expo normal goers white. had white ones and so people would see the green badge and then they'd ask you like what are yeah. you doing yeah or, or whatever and uh so it was cool and then like today one thing that was super fun um after we had like interviewed people was um I started just kind of like walking around and I had already kind of scoped out all of the the stuff you know all the vendors and, and things like that but I apparently had missed some parts and so I just like went around and like talked to some people and I found more game developers and like game developers weren't super popular no because this. this is really more about collecting yeah. and things like that um, but there were some there and the ones that were there is like I don't know I stopped and like had some super awesome fun conversations with them yeah um Specifically, like, we talked a little bit yesterday about the guy who did, like, NES games. And I found another one today. And he was super chill. Just, like, really fun guy to talk to. And, like, I happened to catch him at a time when it was, like, slow at his booth. And it was sort of towards the end of our time there. And it's like, we just shot the shit for, like, 20 yeah. minutes. And he seemed like this really awesome guy. Yeah, like, they all are, man. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, what else? Oh, another thing that was, like exciting for me anyways and I wanted to like try and catch him but I didn't but uh, if anyone knows Scott Hanselman he was there and I like walked past him and I was like oh shit that was Scott Hanselman yeah. uh, he has a podcast Hansel Minutes uh, actually the very first podcast I ever listened to was called um, shoot what was it called the very first like actual like yeah first the, podcast. the first podcast I ever listened to he was in it it was uh, a development podcast and this is when I first started learning how to program um, damn, I'm gonna... Oh, This Developer's Life. Oh, yeah. It was a short... It was only, like, 15 episodes or something. But I had no idea even, like, how podcasts work. Yeah. And it was, like, his buddy kind of ran it, and then he was on some episodes. Um, and so, like, I've known Scott Hanselman for a while, and here I am, like, walking past him. It was kind of cool. Yeah. Also, uh, he does... Because he's, like, a Microsoft employee, Microsoft MVP, whatever, and he does a bunch of training stuff. And so, like... When I was preparing for my job interview to for this development position I have, like I watched a bunch of stuff. I was gonna if I saw him, I was gonna be like, dude, you helped me get my job. Like, yeah. thank you. You know, but anyways, so that was kinda cool. It, it was fun like seeing um, some people that you knew who they were, like obviously like Angry Video Game Nerd and Metal Jesus. Metal Jesus was there. Yeah. And then we also bumped into uh, Matt house matt householder matt householder yeah, again. he like he walked up by our booth and he's like oh hey guys yeah like, it's like we were, see. It was we were like, like hey. friends and yeah and stuff it was cool yeah. so it was a really good time today i'm glad we uh we stuck it out a second day i was kind of not sure early like um 
when we actually like bought tickets and stuff, we were kind of like, well, do we want to go, you know, second day or not? It's like, well, we could feel it out. Yeah, I was kind of not feeling it, but I thought, you know what? And I, I was gonna give you an out too last night. I was gonna be if you don't want to go today, just go home with Elliot tonight. And yeah. Like, well, then I thought no, like yeah. come get that interview with me, <laughs> and like yeah. then you maybe we'll go after that. But right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I got to be fun. It was like the topper on the cake, you know? Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. I know. I gotta really like thank my wife because. She drove up to Eugene, or three from times. Eugene to Salem three times this weekend just to sort of, like, make the musical and this happen, so... Yeah, that was I, awesome, dude. Big yeah. shout-out to Taylor's wife. Yep. So I know you're listening. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyways. Um, yeah. It's been a, a lot of fun. Um, did you... Uh, oh, dude, another thing. What? Is it at, was it at the top of this episode? The thing that I got. Oh, I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. Did you guys enjoy the bumper that I got? <laughs> Tim Kurtz. Uh, Kurt, Kurtzrow. Kurtzman. Oops. Don't run off the road, right? I will do what I please. <laughs> Red's like reaching into his pockets and hand off the wheel. Uh, Kitzrow. Tim Kitzrow. The voice of NBA Jam. Um, super <laughs> cool dude. I ended up going over and talking to him and like giving him a little like spiel on what I was doing and he's like, "All right, here we go." And and gave me a a, a bumper to put at the top of the the podcast where he, you know, said Game Devs Quest and said yeah. all of his signature lines like boom shakalaka <laughs> and all that. So, that was, was the guy, the NBA Jam voice that you heard back in the day. <laughs> well, okay, so one thing that I want to say cuz like that guy I didn't really talk to that guy, but he sounded cool and then yeah. like the Diablo guys were super cool. It was like, it's kind of funny because, you know, they're older now, like, you know, yeah. like, 40s, 50s or something. Yeah. And, like, people know their games, but they don't specifically, like, know, know them. them. And so they're just, like, these super down-to-earth, like, chill guys that, like, want to tell you about the games their they made and, and their yeah. time and stuff. So it was kind of fun, like, you know, often, like, with the Angry Video Game Nerd, for instance, I would have loved to talk to him. And everyone's just like flocked in. But everybody knows. Everyone, them. everyone knows, knows what they look like, and, yeah. and and these guys are just like, you know, they could just be your neighbor or something. Yeah. And, and they worked on like well, games that we played yeah. growing up. It's awesome. Yeah. So and the fact that like, like he uh, Matt, God, I keep missing. Holman? No house. Householder. Householder came by and he's like, oh, I really want to play this one pinball thing. Like and he's yeah. like. He, like, wanted to share with us, like, his passion for pinball or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was, like, pretty Yeah, cool. dude, that was really fun. <laughs> well, that's what... Yeah. And, and then he was talking about how he's, like, there's three things that made Diablo 2 great. And he, like, listed them off, like, what they were. And one of them was what he nicknamed Robotronics. Oh, Ro- Robotronics, yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he was basing it off a game called Robotron, I think, right? Yeah, or something I like that. So. I, I don't know the game it, personally, but... Yeah. He came over by the booth, and he's like, anyway, I gotta go play some Robotron in the arcade yeah. room. I was like, dude, yes, that's so awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, chill dudes. Good time. Did uh, you have any, um, I don't know, favorite favorite moments from the weekend, or...? Oh, boy. Um, so... I bought a lot of stuff from vendors, which was, like, not... I don't normally do that, but... Yeah, so... Okay, like, uh, Adam and I talked about this. It's like... I... I enjoyed walking around, like, looking at stuff. Especially the stuff that was, like, people made it themselves. Not yeah. just, like, selling consoles or whatever. Yeah. Because um, people made really cool stuff. And, like, I enjoyed seeing what they made, but I just... It's not really my thing to like buy something. Although your records that you picked up sounded cool. Yeah, I don't know. I like Did we records, talk about that so yesterday? I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. But we had a booth right next to ours. Um, that uh, next to the Cheerful Ghost booth, and I can't remember what they're called. I can't remember either. Um, the idea—they're yeah. basically this company that sells vinyl like records but specifies of, in like video game theme or yeah. video game music yeah so like video game themed music or just soundtracks right and um i kept looking at their stuff all day yesterday and i love vinyl i like buying vinyl and uh i you know i listen to a lot of records and uh, i kept thinking like man i should buy something i should buy something and i decided that today if I, something caught my eye i'd go ahead and buy it and i ended up buying two vinyl 
Um, you got Dust Force and... Dust Force, and then I bought, like, a... A, a Legend of Zelda, like, symphonic suite. But it's not original soundtrack music. It's... Inspired by? It is, it? like... Yeah, inspired by. So cool. it's kind of like a, a suite of inspired symphonic music where they hit a lot of the motifs and things like yeah. that. And it was specifically Majora's Mask. Okay. Dude, that's got to be cool. Like, let's say you're a chiptune artist or something. Like, you clearly are interested in retro sounds. Yeah. And that's cool so to get on your vinyl. stuff on, rec- uh, yeah, on like and retro And how fun is it, though? That's product. such a mashup of technology yeah. in a way. Totally. Because if you're a chiptune artist... You're into retro, but your music is inherently digital. Yeah. So now you've got True. this very digital format on an, an analog. analog. <laughs> like, yeah. It's so that interesting. Is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, another thing that was uh, pretty interesting was um, yesterday we talked more about uh, like you know people trying building games for Nintendo or whatever, and I bumped into one of the guys that was like dealing with. Uh, Yeah. Um, I bumped into some guys that um, they kind of made like a game engine or whatever for uh, you to program like NES games without you didn't need any coding. I think you talked about that yesterday. Yeah. NES Maker. Dude, yeah, NES Maker. It's crazy. Like the guy showed me what they used to like, um, like put the game on a cartridge. It's like this little USB attachment thing for like 20 bucks you can just like pop it in your computer and like hit build or like push or whatever to the cartridge and there you go you have your own like game that you could play on an NES it's flash memory so the at least is what he said so I imagine or was it always flash memory that's a good question I don't know I don't know anything about that yeah but I'm gonna look that up it's pretty crazy, like, I don't know, <coughs> nowadays everything that we do is basically digital, just like we were talking about with the record. So imagine you make, like, this old-school 8-bit game, and instead of just, like, being able to play it in a browser, you can literally slap that thing in your NES and play your game that you made on NES. Yeah. Like, damn, what 80s kid wouldn't love to do that? And that's what's really cool about, like, some of these studios, like Mega Cats, dude, that they're, like, pushing all these old, like, these new games, but in cartridges. Yeah, totally. Sega carts and, and Nintendo carts and things like that. Yeah. Like, I think it's really fun, and it's really cool that the internet has allowed for people to push all that stuff to, like, new distances, basically. That, that doesn't make sense, but you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. it allows you to ship and, like, have a way far uh, wider reach. Totally. Um, yeah, it's super interesting and like eye-opening. Um, the uh, so you asked me like what some of my favorite moments were. Um, I actually my favorite moments like just overall were talking like talking to people. Yeah. Like I love talking to the Diablo guys. I love talking to the developers that I bumped into. Um, Do you remember the you know, game that that one guy made? The wizard one or no the other one that we talked to. Did you talk to that guy? I together? did talk to him today. It was really fun. We got a little bit the more Hawaiian in depth. Shirt guy? Um, I think so. Yeah. Did you get his name? I, Chris, <laughs> something. He gave, <laughs> he gave me a sticker with his information. We're actually going to reach out to some of these guys and ask them to be on the podcast. Cool. So you might get to talk or hear us talk to him. Um, yeah, it's just super fun. Like, I've never actually gone to really anything in person where I get to talk to other developers and to see these guys who have, like gone through and have have real products is awesome um just like we said we'd never met john before you know yeah it's like what a great time to have him hang out and stuff so yeah that was fun and like i feel like we you know actually made friends with um john and adam and i think so yeah yeah it's cool i Um, think we made friends with everybody we talked to totally and what's really fun is we go back next year we're gonna see a lot of those speedrunners again and stuff like that like for sure yeah, I think next year, I, like John had mentioned bringing stuff, I think next year um, we should actually have have some advertisement stuff for Game Devs Quest. Yeah. Um, maybe we could be doing some live podcast stuff and ask yeah. people you know, what they're up to. I don't know. I mean, there were some live podcasters there, like they yeah. had their shit set up and 
Um, and I've done that thing before and it's not bad. Like we did like essentially podcasting and stuff in a way, like when I went to PAX, cause we just had our voice recorders and we yeah. would film the interviews with game developers and things like that and talk to them about behind the scenes stuff. And, yeah. Well, dude, also I gotta say like, uh, we don't even have, we have nothing for a setup. We just have phones. Yeah. And like, I listened to some of the stuff earlier and it sounds pretty good. Yeah. Not so bad. like, I mean, I, I think I probably could get a better app that just sure. has better stuff. The problem is the iPhone recorder is so amazing. Oh, and, yeah. but you know, whatever, this works great. Yeah. I use it a lot. I mean, I, I use the voice recorder all the time to like demo music and to like yeah. get voice notes and to interview people and stuff. So yeah. And it's worked out really well. And, and you, that's what you guys are listening to right now. So uh, yeah. Of course, it's not as high quality as our, like, mics in a contained little, like, studio right. environment. We don't have pop filters and stuff, yeah. but... Um, the difference with a little voice recorder is that I had, like, lapel mics, so you could really isolate it. Yeah, so you get cool. cut all the white noise out, because right. they're very, very local. Yeah. Um, but, again, I probably could have got something like that for my phone if I really wanted to as well, but... Yeah. But no, I think it worked out just It fine. worked out great, and I yeah. think, like, yeah, next year we should put in some planning and figure out get some stuff you know what i was going to do for us this year was i was going to get some stickers and buttons yeah but i just decided against it just because of the uncertainty involved in my mind with like <laughs> the design and then the cost yeah um well i think honestly i think it was like a great first step yeah we got our we got our toes wet like figured out what it was to be like in a vendor booth yeah now we know and like i'm excited for next year yeah so and yeah. honestly like there's some stuff down in Eugene, too. Yeah, like the indie thing that that guy was talking about. The yeah. indie game conference or something. Yeah, we could go to that, too, and do something yeah. similar. So. They have stuff all the time, man. And, you know, maybe next year we can go to PAX, too. Like, I know, that'd be fun. And what we could do is if we could coordinate with Kraft and get uh, media passes. Yeah. And go behind the scenes and actually, like, get better access and content and stuff. Because like, we can go for free. If we have the media passes. Dude, yeah, that'd be sick. Because otherwise, PAX is really expensive. Right. But, you know, maybe we, I'll coordinate that with uh, with Jeff. If we, like, if we one of our guys can't make it or something like that, I'll sub you in and we can make some game dev con- content while helping Jeff out a little bit and shit like that. Yeah. Because those are so fun and it's fun to be there. And I said this, I might have said this yesterday or I don't know, I've said so many of the same things this weekend, but it's fun to go to these things and work at them. It's more yeah, fun. Like, I agree. Because... I don't know. There's just something about it. Um, it's like, I, I said this about Oktoberfest. Like, I wouldn't go to Oktoberfest if I didn't work it. Mm. But it's fun to work it and to, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Maybe, do you see what I mean now when I, I say yeah, that? Yeah, I, I think I see what you mean. Because uh, it's the exact same experience as what we just had this weekend. Yeah. Except I well, go and serve beer for four hours. Sure. You know? It kind of forces you into situations that you wouldn't normally be in. And also, since you're in a centralized place, you just end up running into so many people. Yeah. Um, which is cool. So, like, if you guys are... I know some of you did MAGFest for a while. Uh, your experience might vary, but my opinion is if you're thinking about, like, showing your game at a conference, if you can afford it, like... it's. Let me tell you one thing. It's great exposure. Yeah. Like, Cheerful Ghosts, they had... I don't even know how many We had to have handed out, like, 2,000 flyers. Yeah. And, and, like, it was everywhere. People... We try to hand some out to people, and they'd be like, "Oh, I already have that. I have the game already." Yeah. It's like, okay, that was easy. One dude came by, and he's like, "When is the day reset?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And yeah, that's and that's what's awesome about it, and um, yeah, and it's see, and I wonder what you would always think, because I have always wanted to try to throw my own little conference or like expo yeah. or festival or something like that. Not yeah. big. Doesn't have to be as big as that. But, you know, we could get a spot, like, over here at the Salem Convention Center, which we're about to go past, <laughs> and, like, have some people do panels and, like, do stuff. Like, I don't know. It'd be so fun to, like, just have our own get-together, right? Like, yeah. like the Mats were saying today, like, we went to the very first game developers conference. Back then, it was called the Computer Game Developers yeah. Conference. And, and it was at this person's house. There was 12 of us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. And, you know, that's how stuff like, and I'm not saying like, I don't want it to blow up and be this huge thing, but it's just fun, I think, to have these types of experiences. Totally. I don't know. But we should think about going to another thing like this. Eugene, Portland, Salem, you name it. Yeah. Um, Well, it it definitely sort of amped me up again. Right? You know, my tank has been like so low for so long. Yeah. And I don't know, it just kind of, 
reminded me why I enjoy this, you know? Um, made me want to get out and make some games. Like, honestly, like, when I was talking to those Nintendo developers... Yeah. ...who were talking about developing an assembly... They, like... I can't remember the, the name of this, like, tutorial site. It's, like, Night something or other. But I was like, all right, I guess I'm learning assembly. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyways. So... Why don't we cut it here, uh, and we can pop in the interview that we did with Matt and Matt from the Diablo series. What do you think? Absolutely. Cool, guys. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this uh, interview. It was a lot of fun. In fact, I'm just going to start recording now. While I'm yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for like, giving us so some of your time. Oh, yeah. my pleasure. I mean, yeah, this is perfect for me because I moved up to... Uh, to Portland from LA a year and a half ago, and I yeah. I like the vibe here yeah, way more than the trade shows. I like this environment a lot more than yeah. uh, than a GDC or in uh, an E3, just because it's it's more people love games. Yeah, right? exactly. Which is like I wish you know at GDC. I don't always feel like that. It's kind of oh, a, that's super corporate. Yeah, well, it's more yeah. just you kind of have to be careerist, careerist. to like yeah. to like make your way in True. the industry these days. It's yeah. more professionalized. You well, need like a degree and a relative. Yeah. Yep. And irrelevant, like you know, from a program. So it's a lot more like yeah. it's a lot. It's not like it was at all thirty well, years ago. In that no, sense. or forty practically. Now I went to the first um, game developers conference at Chris Crawford's house <laughs> in San Jose. <laughs> right. There were only about a dozen of us. What year was that? Uh, that would have been in maybe eighty-six. And that was mostly 2600 devs or 2600 ANSI 64 no, devs? No, it was computer, home computer devs. More Apple II Primarily, devs. like Commodore 64, Apple II people primarily. So not, not, not Atari 2600 titles? No, it was part. home computer. Chris okay. Crawford was very disdainful of uh, consoles. Right. He was very much into computers. If it was, you know, it was, the, it was not, it was the... Uh, Computer Game Developers Conference. Right. Okay. Originally. Before, right. Oh. CGDC. Computer Game Developers Conference. Well, we still, we were, the and then it was, they dropped the C yeah. later when, when, when consoles became a huge yeah. market. Of well, we were sort of, we were bunched in. When we, my very first year in the, in the industry, uh, in 1994, when we pro, when we promoted, um, Justice League, uh, which was the title that, that Blizzard and Irvine developed the SNES version. We developed the Sega Genesis version. Right. But we hyped that. The industry was still thought of as a subset of CES. And that was the show we went to. Right. Oh. Consumer CES, Electronics. Yeah, right. It was the big CES show in Vegas. Mm-hmm. So that was actually that. And then E3 in Atlanta, the year after that, felt like it was finally... Wasn't that the first year when E3 took over the Olympic space in Atlanta? That was kind of the industry finally like, okay, we're a real industry that can have like its own real dedicated yeah, convention. Its own de- dedicated yeah. And that was just convention. when when Genesis yeah. and SNES were starting to make big money and Tomb Raider was a big hit. Uh, that yeah. was kind of like yeah. the beginning of of like the kind of developers as kind of nerd celebrities in, in, in a way in that, in that show too. I just right. think about how hyped up the Eidos party was and there was a sort of cool about it that I sensed did not exist you know in the Richard Garriott era you know in terms of yeah. floppies inside plastic bags. Right. That, that homebrew era was way over. When, yeah. when Bill Gates would literally have a floppy to micro dash soft on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. Perfect. Well, you know what? I'm sure you guys hear this all the time about how like formative Diablo is to so many people, but I wanted to tell you a quick little story about my friend Lee, yeah. <laughs> who still plays Diablo 2 to this day. Uh, he had the CD yeah. in his CD drive for so long. Yeah, there was, you remember when you had to have the CD in there? To oh, Windows 95, yeah. Protection yeah. check, yeah. Yeah, he one time came over to my house or after, for streaming the audio. after yeah. having it in there for years, pretty much. He never ejected it, and it, like, literally blew up in his, <laughs> in his and he, The Dark Lord blew it up. Yeah, he brought it over to my house in, like, this Ziploc bag and little pieces. He's like, man, I got to get another copy of the Stay the, the soul stone shattered in this yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, it just cracks me up thinking about that. Um, but yeah, um, shoot, I had a bunch of questions lined up, but now that suddenly they're evading me. Um, Talk a little more. Yeah. What I did, well, we were talking about GDC. 
Uh, one of the first things I was responsible for at Blizzard when I joined Blizzard North was recruiting. I didn't talk about that at all really right. in, the, in this talk here, but one of my big responsibilities was recruiting you know, and hiring people. Oh, so many applications. What so many applications. Bernie? Bernie Wilkins. Bernie Wilkins. I use that, right. uh, I use that as an address. Bernie Wilkins I, got thousands of pieces now. Yeah, it stood for <laughs> Blizzard Website. BW. Oh, was nice. The source of, <laughs> but I used to get people calling or sending us emails saying, oh, yeah, I knew Bernie in high you school. You guys are still good in here until one. So. Okay, thanks. <laughs> and, yeah, so we, but, uh, yeah, so we had a, yeah, just a, a pen name for the applications to go to. <laughs> I like that. I tried to give Bernie Wilkins a backstory, though, in my MP3 of the week story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was, uh, I, I, did, I, did I actually get some static because it was a little bit too dark? I think I made, I made him a Vietnam veteran with PTSD issues. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. We wanted, to, we wanted to give him some flavor. But I think I think I actually might have pushed that one a little too far. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't want to make people too mad about it. But, yeah. I don't think it made anybody too mad. It was just a little bit Too weird. dark. Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? So, I mean... Me coming to age in like the late 2000s, yeah. like nowadays, if you're getting into game development, you, it seems like you would adverse, advertise yourself as a game developer. But back then, was it the same type of things, or were you getting like a lot of people that were software developers just trying to get, you know, a software development job that happened to be in games? Well, you would know, or, and then you you went through that big pile every day. Um, I don't know if it's if it's easy to. Are you talking about just like who generally was applying like circa two thousand? Yeah, like because it's it's weird to think about like the games industry. Like you're saying, it was like yeah. before it was like kind of this niche thing, and then it kind of like I guess blew that was the middle of that big. process when the first gaming academic programs were just starting to go online. Would have been like yeah. two thousand. That was kind of the dawn of the. Yeah. Well, I mean, the dawn of the professionalization would have been like the late 90s. Right. But yeah. I guess you saw that transition uh, period. Yeah, we saw the transition period. It, you know, I, I don't know what I can say about it, you know, except that, you know, when, when there's money to be made, the people will find a way to make money. Right. Yeah. And, you know, selling an education in the game business is one way to make money. Is way to make well, money. yeah, and that's always been true in any, any kind of cultural endeavor is, you know, in terms of being a professional musician, most... Most musicians make, I bet, like an overwhelming plurality of musician income in the U.S. is teaching, right? Right. It's got probably like 80% of, of like the actual money that musicians make. If not more, Day to day, yeah. it's got to be 80% plus as right. a teacher. Right. Which is not, that's not a bad thing. No. I mean, music's a beautiful thing that you should teach and people should people study should as know, a yeah. Enjoy. Pseudoscience. You know how to do. Uh, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, that's just, that's kind of the nature of the beast. Now, the degree to which it becomes a racket, I don't know. Art Institute was, fed us some talent. That's how we found Bowie, right? And that's how we found um, Bob, uh, Bob Steele. Oh, Bob Steele, well. Was an Art Institute instructor in the city, the, the art school. Um, oh, right. Um, Those Academy of Art University. Then. Yeah, Academy of Art. Right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, they've actually, they actually, they're kind of a little hedge fund in terms of Bay Area real estate themselves, too, right? Yeah, they're more of a real estate than tax dodge <laughs> than anything. Yeah. Right. That's well, my probably opinion. true of a lot of universities. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I went to had five hundred million in the bank. And it's like, why are you charging sixty thousand a year? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. anyways, off topic. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I got a lot of education before I went into the game business and you know, I didn't really need it, it turns out, afterward. Maybe I should not have. Bill Gates didn't finish college, nor did Steve Jobs. Maybe. Nor Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Nor Zuckerberg. Yeah. Yep. But you know, you've got to be pretty uniquely positioned in order to do that, yeah. or be or be in a position, as you know, economically where you can take those huge risks. Yeah, yeah. And you know, working class kid from Northwest Ohio like me isn't going to be in those positions, even no matter, you know, how timely I should have could have done that. Right. It didn't occur to me that it was possible. Yeah. I felt like I have to get an education. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, here of, I am. I'm. I taught my. You know, I pretty much taught myself electronics, digital electronics, and 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 programming, kind of almost on my own. Right. right. Aside from my regular education, I was going to Kent State University, um, studying chemistry and math, and eventually cultural anthropology is kind of what I settled on oh, because wow. I kind of got. It's like. That's actually close to my, my real degree is American studies. Oh, yeah, really? See, really and that was that was my question. Okay. Is like, what did you guys study that eventually led you to you this? Know, but it sounds um, like you just that studied degree, it. And that degree actually helped me a lot in terms of when when I came out of college, I think the fact that I was able to look at the, at the games industry and know it was like 
poised for for the growth it was. Mm-hmm. I think I think my American studies degree in terms of just having like a big picture mindset of like how culture and pop culture works. Yeah. It seems like such a like a a kind of fake bogus like non rigorous <laughs> non intellectual degree, but it really actually kind of like gave me a little bit of the objectivity to like look at what a lot of people in '93 saw like the slump as the SNES and the Genesis were aging, and kind of thought that like video games are kind of on a plane that kind of go up and down, and I feel like really knowing the history of of uh, just you know just knowing more about American culture and like the history of how rock music came industry how Hollywood became a big industry let, gave me the perspective to see that like in fact instead of it just being kind of a console cycle up and down it was really like that and that's yeah. really what it was because yeah. when when the gaming industry kind of started to take off in 95 there was just a lot of momentum behind it on the you know as a on the whole oh yeah huge momentum it and was becoming a mass market in the home. And Mike, Mike and Alan had a great formula in terms of... And actually, you know, it's funny. Diablo is kind of a departure from that formula in that, in a lot of ways, what Blizzard was all about in terms of their two big hits, the Warcraft series was basically, we're going to take Dune 2, we're going to do it better. Yeah. And, and WoW was basically, we're going to take EverQuest, we're going to do it better. Yeah. And we were a little more original in that we weren't... We, I, think, I think the Diablo formula in terms of making the true baby of Gauntlet and uh, NetHack was actually a little bit more original ambish, and ambitious than what Irvine was doing, which was basically taking Dune 2, putting a you know an IP on top of it that was original. That being said, though, I do give a lot of credit to Chris Metzen for actually taking like the novelization of all that WoW IP and doing like a real novel with it, yeah. and really putting a lot of work into like really fleshing out the backstory and oh, yeah. of that. And the fact that the movie version of Warcraft made like a half billion dollars in China <laughs> is not unrelated to that. It's, even yeah. if even if that IP was never really seen as like in the industry as being like you know. People it, like something they can latch on to. And, yeah, and the yeah, more yeah. you give them to that, it's yeah. like the more they can sort of like invest themselves in it. Like they take right. a piece of ownership if they can recite a piece of lore that yeah. might be more obscure. And you know, and, and Chris did a great job in terms of like the work he did way back in the 90s in terms of establishing that stuff. Even even a little bit of work on the Diablo series. I thought he helped give a flavor to the backstory with uh, Leoric being kidnapped and all <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, Mitzen mm-hmm. had, a, had a little role in that. Uh, oh. So, are you playing WoW Classic? <laughs> well, I worked on. I'm not playing WoW Classic, but it, that's you know, I moved. I moved to uh, Irvine. Blizzard North was shut down in '93. Um, Aug- uh, uh, well, I mean, I mean, shut 2003. Down, sorry, two, no, two, much later than that. 2005, Five. August oh, one. I left in 2003. That's right. We didn't yeah. have a chance for Matt to talk about the flag. The whole, we could do another hour on the flagship era. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, the whole. <laughs> I don't think it's directly sure related to Diablo. But, yeah. Oh my God! Yes, it is. It's well, related to that. And, and not only that, but flagship history is directly related to uh, Hellgate. Was basically <laughs> oh, yeah. was Halo five years early. There is nothing in the Halo design in terms of what makes Halo Halo in that generation of games and what made Destiny Destiny that was not mostly fleshed out by you guys uh, because Hellgate tried to do like 10 or 15 things yeah. instead of trying to do two or three things which is one of the few reasons why it, it, it was fated to, to end ugly. But but everything about everything about the Halo series in terms of that was was built on, uh, you know, Hellgate was the guinea pig for that style of game. And it, a good three, four years early, right? I don't... No, they were that demoing, that being said, like, they were demoing Halo as early as 2002. Yeah. So it's not like they ripped off... That's not what I'm saying at all. Right, right. But it was, it was an important iteration of trying to say, we're going to take the random loot-type mechanic of Diablo 2... We're going to put it in the 3D space, yeah. and we're going to jam a shooter class into that, right. and we're going to jam a range, a range magic person into that, and we're going to try to make a basic fundamental melee thing work, right? Which was which was pretty much what Halo tries to do, and you can see Hellgate is kind of a middle step in terms of the evolution of those Diablo two mechanics into all that, and then and then the next step into like a commercial hit with Halo. So yeah, maybe that seems off track, but no, a lot of this stuff, you know. The, the design, the design innovations kind of feed to the next generation, even if, uh, and that's been technology, you know, from the beginning, Forever, right? Like yeah. Xerox Park created the PC and pretty much <laughs> didn't get it, didn't really get much out of it, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they created the window 
operating system. Right. right. The first two jobs to, to play with when he was still a teenage acid head in 1973. So, oh, okay. I'll give this to the masses 10 years from now. That's what it I suppose. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. That was in Palo Alto, uh, the Xerox Park. Uh, yeah, Xerox Park, Palo Alto Research Center. Right. They, they did the, uh, the window and system on the on the Xerox Alto. Was it the Alto? Was it called the Alto? That sounds right. I think it was the Alto. It was the name of the computer. It was a mini Xerox computer. Xerox get out of that. Not much. Xerox created the uh, PC. Not much. And a lot of people kind of were there and took the fundamental concepts. And But that's well, the history research of Research laboratories are kind of interesting. A, a Bell Labs was one. Yeah. And they invented the transistor right. as well as the laser. Right. Two useful inventions. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and also... Um, C, right? Programming the Max Matthews oh, wrote music. Oh, right, yeah. right. Oh, jeez. Uh, which is also related. Uh, Max Matthews was at Karma for he croaked like eight or nine years ago. I got to meet him uh, right before I worked for Blizzard. I thought about doing a graduate thing there at Karma at CCRMA in, in Stanford. But he, uh, Max Matthews, did the C music. That was his, his shtick. That's huh. cool. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Did you want any other questions or questions? directions? <laughs> yeah, let me look. Up. I got some. I got a list right here of some questions that one, we'd thought about. One question about. I have for you is because you've been in the industry for a long time, and uh, specifically for music. Like, right. How has your workflow changed over all those oh, years? Oh, yeah, and, that was one of my questions You know, I'm almost. I'm wondering if it's time to dump Logic pretty soon. I don't know. I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Yeah, I'm wondering about moving over to Reaper as my real production. Because Reaper is a great program. I hear yeah. a lot of people. Talk I got about Reaper it. like four months ago, and uh, no, I'm losing my mind. I got Reaper a little longer than that. I got it more like ten months ago. But yeah, I've been. It 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 has changed a lot. It, it was basically the old Diablo was really all structured around my EPS 16 plus, my old Insonic sampler, and the classic Diablo soundtrack. Everything was loaded into that. Yeah. And then it, the next generation after that that I transitioned to for Diablo 2 around like 98, 99 was a Giga Sampler, and I used Giga Sampler as an environment for back when having that kind of power for big sample libraries was like, like, whoa, I can yeah. load up like a half gig of those things. And it was amazing for a time. Yeah. Um, and then Giga Sampler, and then when I uh, started working, pretty much rode Giga Sampler until it kind of died as a medium, until like... I think my Giga Sampler machine literally died like my last week at Blizzard in 2006. Oh, wow. In like, in like uh, November 2006. Yeah. Uh, and then when I rebooted my production to start working with Max uh, and Eric again on the Torchlight series, um, I just decided, you know, I'll just do Logic. It looks like it has a lot of stuff like yeah. that. And yeah. I've been pretty happy with Logic. I was using Vienna libraries in Giga Sampler at the end of, the, of that, so there's kind of a connection in that. I liked the uh, the Vienna instruments in that, and that those kind of became my torchlight default sounds. That's not really rare, though. Vienna is a little, it's a little high. It's somewhat expensive to get that library, yeah. but it's kind of an industry standard for that level. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I use that all the time. Like right now, I'm I'm doing uh, what might be my last town piece for a little while. We'll see on Torchlight Frontiers. Oh, yeah. One last town. <laughs> and then I got to do, we want to get a few boss tracks done too, which we may do a small, we may do a chamber orchestra session. I got oh, to do a live orchestra thing a year ago, which is oh, really, that's cool. oh, that's great. Which is yeah. really fun. Um, but uh, yeah, doing, and that's, I'm using Vienna stuff for that all the time. The Vienna library is, is great. It matches well with the stuff I've done in Bratislava. Yeah. And, uh, and that's, Vienna and Logic is mostly what I'm doing. If I move to Reaper, I probably. Yeah. So I'm so lazy about moving the entire, reinstalling everything. But Vienna, yeah. Vienna really is the one thing where Vienna and Omnisphere, yeah. uh, and Omnisphere, of course, Spectrosonics is something I've used, and and uh, going back to Diablo two, that was a big part of the Diablo two sound. Oh, those great. Yeah. What, what was it like? Um, like nowadays, you know, games can be 20 gigs or whatever. Right. Back then, I don't know what Diablo was. Probably 100 megs or 200 megs or something. Uh, most like of, most of what took space in the CD was me. Digital audio was still, even when we when we had it way down yeah. at... Diablo 2 was, what, 22K stereo for the action, uh, the action stuff? Yeah. Um, but it was still, and you know... 
because it was wave and because it was not MP3 style compression or slash AUG style compression, because it was not that in MP3 one or D, in D2, it took more space, and I was really like a big disk real estate hog. Yeah. It didn't matter that much because the coding and assets could be could be were only a couple hundred megs. So that yeah. still left me like three or four hundred megs for the soundtrack. So there um, was sort of a constraint where people were telling you like you have to hit. Well, the very beginning out, it was nothing but constraint because yeah. on the very first stuff I did for cartridges, I did have a digital audio channel. Yeah. But that was reserved strictly for sound effects. Yeah. And if you wanted to, you could blow through your entire memory budget with one big, really cool, like four or five second sample at the start <laughs> of a cartridge game. And a lot of audio people would do. They would have like one big expensive like some voice saying now you know like. Yeah. NFL All Stars. Right. <laughs> yeah, the NBA and, guy. Uh, is oh here. yeah, that did the voice. Tim. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Boom shakalaka. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and like that big signature <laughs> digital audio thing would actually be like half your budget. But then, but then the rate, the rate of those old files was so, like, <clears throat> uh, what, eleven hertz, five <laughs> bit. That's the kind of thing that they would, that they would crush down to. 11 kilohertz, 5-bit. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> Sounds about like, wow. like it, it, would, it wouldn't even be an even-bit yeah. value. It would be like a 5-bit thing because, mm. because that was really where the sample started to become super-duper crunchy dog shit. You couldn't hear it. You couldn't really make out any yeah. of it um, was at that low rate. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, general, there was a quantum leap, though, once we actually had the physical disk to put yeah. digital audio on. And that made all the difference. And a lot of, a lot of why... I was just in the right place at the right time to have like a very live guitarish sound. Yeah. When yeah. that was something that you could do because people were still in '96, people were still like, "Oh, Turtle Beach has much better sound from than you know <laughs> Sound Blaster." You know, in terms of people being yeah. snobby about what card they yeah, had cards and the font for like their 128 you know Roland library thing, and people still had that mindset. Whereas I wasn't invested in that at all. In my traditional, you know, I do have. Oh, okay, traditional musician skills, you know, like I've written for orchestra a bunch the past 15 years. And, mm -hmm. and I've always been, you know, pretty literate as musicians go relative to like the average rock musician at least. Yeah. Um, but that was never my world in terms of thinking of my music as like a piano roll thing that then was plugged into a certain sound font. Mm -hmm. And so from the very beginning with Diablo, we were I was trying to kind of like, I guess, push the advantage and do kind of like you know More actual uh, yeah actual audio that did not sound anything like something you could get out of a wave table yeah. yeah you know kind of like the most far from that as you possibly can yeah and so that was definitely part of the formula and what made it sound different from the beginning was that you on guitar uh, oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Diablo cool that's awesome just <laughs> yeah. do the guitar nails right there there you go <laughs> well that's your that's your your uh, image on your Wikipedia page is you jamming on the guitar. Right, that's a photo from like 2005 with me on uh, in my folks' uh, kitchen with uh, South American. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we'll mother a pearl. It's a cool guitar. So, uh, so two hundred bucks, Ecuador. Oh, nice. <laughs> Bought in San Jose, some poncho. So, do you guys have any? Um, or I guess, what would you consider like looking back, like your favorite contributions to the Diablo franchise, if you have one, if you can narrow it down, even. Like your personal favorite, personal contributions. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, obviously, maybe, with me, it's a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, but do you have a favorite? Can you narrow it down even more? Your favorite, your favorite track, or you know, I'm proud of the opening sequence when you go into the monastery. And yeah, you hear the booming drums. We were just talking about the, the whole the whole track. kind of opening like five minutes of Diablo uh, when you're in the interior. Yeah. It, we did a really good job, I thought, of like making that kind of dramatic and exciting. And you know, it's hard. I think just game design wise, that whole sequence did a lot of stuff right. In that the way you're kind of sucked in with the monsters being faster than you, mm -hmm. and how you're kind of tempted to get deeper in the game, and then you kind of the way it sucks you in in terms of getting progressively more mobbed on by faster monsters. It was very kind of hard, but really well done in terms of like an opening intro action sequence. And I don't know if I've worked on a game where the first, like, five minutes of action are done as well as that. Yeah. For as, as primitive as, like, the sound and artwork. That part, I thought, you know, was just great. And that was a real team effort mm -hmm. to get to that point with lighting and the skeletons. I mean, there were so many iterations, and there's so much stuff like just the influence of, like, Ray, Ray Harryhausen in terms of how the skeletons looked and how they moved that you'd even yeah. have to kind of mention him in terms of, like, what really mm -hmm. went into, like, making that first opening five minutes, like, effective. 
Yeah. Even how they died. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that yeah. was Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. 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 That's great. <laughs> well, and a lot of, uh, you know what I was saying about like, we were just, you know, we didn't have like real professional skills on that team. A lot of it, a lot of like the, the warrior's like kind of awkward animation where it looks like he has a bike lock in his butt or something. Yeah. <laughs> like a lot of that was what gave the game, what made the game good was kind of what made it bad in that, in that, in the traditional sense, in that the animations were not like, you know, somebody that has, had done like five years working on Disney productions would have done. It was all people kind of that just loved it figuring it out on their own. Yeah. You know? And that, a guy like Eric Sexton, is a great example of that. There's no way he ever would have gotten work as an artist or animator anywhere at that period. However, his own personal vibe that he put into the stuff in terms of like the butcher's room with the bodies on the spikes yeah. and all that, yeah. that was very much him. And it couldn't have been made without somebody that was like not professional and just and just loved it and kind of loved like, you know, the way like a 10 or 11 year old loves the kind of gory, scary part of comic books. Yeah. You know, I think when you're more of a professional artist, that stuff is kind of beaten out of you. Sure. But it wasn't in terms of the old Diablo crew. I think that's mm-hmm. cool to hear as like an amateur game developer too. It's that's like, where the flavor comes from, yeah, you know. People yeah. who've made this like epic game that everyone knows about, they right. have that same. Sort well, of, you know, and that's the thing I think you see more often than not. And this is something I feel like I have to remind people all the time: is you know, so like when Diablo three sort of like fell short of the expectations that people had like placed on it after D two and all right. that, like. Um, I think you have to remind them, it's like, well, okay, like, a lot of the original team has moved on, and now they're, we're in a state where, like, the major, like, AAA studios are, like, hiring talent that has a long resume and all these things, right, professionals, like right, you say, right. and it lacks the sort of, I think, the, the amateur flair, like you sort of put it, like, the passion that goes behind it, because a lot of the big hits that these huge AAA behemoth studios started with have all this passion, all this stuff, right. you know, like, you can look at a lot of the Bethesda games that way, too, right. where... You know, look, Skyrim's not a bad game, but the people that played the earlier titles... Which which predate Bethesda in, in both Fallout and right. Elder Scrolls. There were both studios that Bethesda actually bought. Right. Like, they were already... If the fact yeah. that it was Bethesda, it means it was kind of more already professionalized to some degree. Right, exactly. So, um, I think a lot of people sort of forget that now because that's where the industry is. is they're like, well, I have to have this monstrous resume if I want to get involved in games. And, and unfortunately, on some level... Maybe, but on the other level, then there's people like you guys that are are living proof that that's not the case. So. Well, it's it's a lot of it was just being lucky in terms of being in the industry at a particular time and place too. In yeah, terms of like, there's some sure. luck involved, and yeah. you know, when I started '81, nobody had any kind of history yeah. really. Right. You just had to demonstrate to the hiring manager that you could do it. Yeah. yeah. Though there, there was, was a chance you could do it. There was 18 years <laughs> of video game history at that point, though, but it was yeah. really, really obscure. The first half of that was mostly academic. Yeah. And it just wasn't... The thing is, like, in 81, it's like people had a glimpse of, like, what games could, you know... Like, the Ultima series, I thought, was a, was a, a template that was, like, really early for, like, what RPGs could be and yeah. what became. Or the really old Wizardry, ser- Wizardry series. Yeah. But it was really kind of a bridge era in that the technology wasn't as big as the ideas quite yet. Like, the, the old first right. couple iterations of Wizardry are really these ugly spare games without much going on, right? I never liked any of those. <coughs> I was going to say, they never really got better. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's not true. I'm just I, I mean, I don't know if I... I like Temple of Abshai trilogy. Right, right. That, that was working. They suggested what, what to came. Yeah. I, th- I think Ultima... Was Ultima 3 the one where you really had a party and you finally got to Lord British at the end? I... Ultima 3, I never played any of the Ultimates. Ultima 2 or 3, I, I played a lot of on the Apple II Plus, <laughs> yeah. and that was pretty influential. And I had that actually still kind of in the back of my mind when I was working on Diablo a dozen years later in terms of what mm-hmm. I enjoyed about it. Yeah. yeah, That really got... The Ultima series, I think, was one of the first to really give you the sense of, like, an open world, and yeah. like a true sense of exploration. And the dynamic with the guards in the city, that was really cool, where you piss off the guards and they try to kill you. Right. And all that stuff. <laughs> there are a lot of fun, subtle game elements that weren't always that in some ways the Diablo series is more stripped down than Ultima in terms of like going into a town and like trying to steal from a merchant and like right. the, the guard going after you that kind of thing is actually deeper than than what we did yeah no definitely we were very railroaded compared to like yeah. that kind of a yeah. game mechanic and we got rid of stuff like item steal as like Diablo we didn't was item steal in that was never in Diablo 2 was it 
No. Was, was it in... Uh, you mean in, in, in Merchants? No. Who's the character named after... We almost had an item steel monster in Diablo 2, right? Oh, oh, oh. Item oh, steel right. monster. Right. All that old... It was just considered... It just... I think somebody put it in and it just felt unfair. Right. A lot, a lot of a lot of the evil. Yeah, I got my way. What you stole my. A lot of the a lot of the really kind of old. Part of what made Angman the kind of game it was in terms of the old net hacks was they were just mean. Like as you got more advanced, you went into experience drain monsters, item steal monsters, mm-hmm. um, and if you don't identify and you use an item, you might have a curse on bind, oh. which could be a real problem too. <laughs> and those are three things that we did not do in the Diablo universe. In a lot of ways, we were. We were kind of a, a more railroady, streamlined version of more brutal game mechanics that had come earlier. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there were versions you could play, you know, difficulty levels and... and uh, so you and, can't code in things like item steal and make it work no. as, as like a mod. Or, you know, <laughs> permanent death. You know. Right. <laughs> right. I'm sure people want that. The XP drain? That's brutal. When you have a high-level character and all of a sudden this guy oh, is like yeah. literally hitting you and taking away like an hour to play. It hurts, <laughs> <laughs> you know? It's like he's taking your life away. Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I remember those characters when I, when I, when I actually had a... Uh, in the very early days of Diablo, I had an Angband character uh, that progressed somewhat far. Never near as far as Dave's. Yeah. Uh, do you have any tips for people just for um, like being able to sustain a career in like game development? You know, stay, I, stay flexible. Yeah. yeah Keep learning. It, it, to me, to me, it's like yeah. being a musician is kind of its own thing that had that is. If I can get a paycheck to make music in any fashion, then I'm happy about that. Um, and music is really one of those things that's so much bigger than, you know, I mean, music just goes into all the way back to like, you know, Pythagorean philosophy 2,000 years ago in terms of what it can <laughs> right. be. So, yeah, yeah. so it's, it's so much bigger really than, than the industry on the whole as far as I'm concerned. So I kind of yeah. see myself in my identity. I hope I can get getting, you know, keep it... Uh, being a professional musician over the next 20 years but you know to me that's just uh, anything that gets me to that point is I'm happy with yeah especially if I can really write new stuff and not just see the goal as like accumulating publishing rights like a lot of a lot of musicians you know not like part of me is jealous of having like that back end because I have no back end rights from anything yeah but I like the idea of of working on stuff in the here and now and knowing that tonight when I go home I can, you know, work on the next like twenty yeah. seconds of this town queue. Yeah. So I want to keep that going for as long as I can. We'll see. Well I think without the publishing rights too, it may it maybe it keeps it keeps a certain level of like hunger in a way because you got to kind of keep working to yeah keep, yeah uh, I mean it's a lot of I think the career that I've had and part of it is because I haven't insisted on back end stuff when I come into a project right. so it makes me a lot a lot more, more flexible to work with. And when I go and I like record stuff in Bratislava, if like it's all a work for hire anyways, then that kind of makes everything more flexible. Yeah, I mean, true. I know that's kind of nightmarish from a labor perspective, but uh, it's been good for me in terms of in terms of just staying working. Yeah. So you said you recently moved to Portland. Yeah, Westland. Uh, oh, oh cool. excellent. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, are you like? Was that easy to do? Like, are you working remote now, basically? I am working remote, and I, I show up in uh, in San Francisco at the home office uh, on Max's current team. Yeah. We have David Glenn from the old Diablo two team, and we have Tyler, Tyler, who uh, Matt worked with also at uh, Flagship. And we're working with yeah. Guy Somburg, who's my audio programmer, who's okay. the audio guy at Flagship as well. Mm-hmm. We got to wrap it up. Cool. Yep. Okay. Excellent. Well, I think yeah, we don't really have fun. to take too much more of your time. Um, okay. God, I don't know. Any any closing questions? Uh, no, I just appreciate the chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of shot Matt an email off off of just on a whim, hoping to get something back, and it worked out. So. <laughs> well, this is the perfect time and place. I like, the, I like this town. I like the, uh, I like the vibe of the show. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. It's yeah. my first time coming, so I, I didn't know what to really expect, but it's right. been really fun. So. I think it's bigger this year than last. Is that right? This year last I like year for the first time. Well, you guys are both locals? <clears throat> I live yeah. in Eugene. I'm down in oh, okay. Salem. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, yeah, I think so. We were, we were at the, when they were lining up outside yesterday, and there was, mm-hmm. I mean, the line, they didn't even know what to do with it. They the just kept extending it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, so it could be. This, I've heard that this is a good first year. So That's, I like that I can park 10 minutes away on the street. That's nice. It, right? And you yeah. can't do that in L.A. or the Bay Area. Oh, no. Okay. 
No, so no. that's really <laughs> yeah. You can park in Portland for now, anyways. <laughs> for now. Yeah, yeah. Depends where. It's not, Seattle's actually gotten exactly, a lot worse the past ten years. Yeah, yeah. It's like there's not as many tech or development jobs as there could be in Portland, but it's like be careful what you ask for. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the fact that Portland's a little slower than Seattle. It's kind of a good thing too. Yeah, I think so, and we got that going for us at least. It's I've always said that Oregon's is kind of uh, been an undiscovered gem for a while, but the secret's getting out. Yeah. So. People I, are starting to. By the way, I appreciated your your dig at the five. Bar, you know, <laughs> you very casually. I was thinking LA supremacists. Yeah. We'll all talk about a Laker from LA. B five, B four hundred five, yeah, B one hundred. I've had like, yeah, Seattle. Past, I was just making fun of it. I yeah. hope people got that. Well, people yeah, I in thought the past it was have been like the five. I'm like. What what is that? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, are you talking about I five? You know, I do feel kind of personally. I've driven up and down it. Uh, I've driven all the way up and down the five. God, so many times. I've done the LASF version of it like a hundred times. Yeah. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview. Thanks so much for sticking with us. Uh, go check out. Uh, Go play Diablo. Go play some Diablo. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And uh, any of the links that you need from us, hit up uh, gamedevsquest.com, just like Tim Kersrow told you. Kitsrow. Damn it. <laughs> just like Tim Kitsrow told you to do. Yep. All right, buddies. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Keto music. Mm-hmm.